Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today's podcast is with business coach, writer, and entrepreneur, and ex-fitness coach, entrepreneur, business owner, John Romanello. Today we dive into the art of storytelling amongst many other topics. We dive into how to become a better storyteller, why writing is so important. We talk a little bit about his history. We talk about my coaching experience with John specifically, uh, communication, effective communication, and, and uh, crucial conversations that you need to have with clients, loved ones, uh, individuals following you on Instagram, so on and so forth, sales, business development. We talk about quite a bit, uh, but the overarching theme of this podcast is storytelling, how to become an effective storyteller, how to become a better writer, and how to use storytelling and writing to not only improve your business, but improve the relationships around you. Uh, I'm going to link a bunch of stuff in the description of this podcast if you want to check out any of John's work or services or content. Um, And if you love this show, as always, please do me a huge favor. Number one, leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. And number two, take a screenshot of this episode and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag John at John Romanello, one word, so we can thank you for listening and we can share it on our stories as well. Before we get into the podcast, I do want to give you one quick advertisement from my own company. Yes, Tailored Coaching Method is the sponsor of this podcast today, and I want to encourage you to apply for our online coaching. If you need guidance in the fitness and nutrition realm, if you want to change your physique, if you want to build your mindset in the physical world, if you want to improve your health, whatever your goal is, if you are stuck and you want expert guidance, you want to be less confused, and you want to actually have answers on how to transform your body, please do me a huge favor. Click the apply button in the description. There's a link for our coaching. You will get a free strategy call. Chat with the coach for 15 to 30 minutes to see what it is all about. Talk about your situation. Talk about your roadblocks. Explain your goals and let us map things out for you. And we'll take all the guesswork out of it. If that applies to you, please do me a huge favor. Click the link in the description. Apply for our coaching. We will text you within 24 hours and we will set up a call. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to this podcast. John, I'm excited to have you on the podcast, man. I've been, uh, I actually have thought about this. Uh, I listened to an episode on an airplane with you on, I'm trying to think of what podcast it was on. And I remember listening, it was all about storytelling and be like, God, I got to get him on the podcast. That would be such a good episode. And I just never reached out. And then, then we started working together <laughs> now for a few months and it was finally like, shit, you need to get on, man. So I'm excited to have you on here. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is, I, I really love doing podcasts with people who do them frequently because they are so much tighter and more effective. So this is exciting. I'm glad that we're here and able to do this and, uh, and I'm excited to dive in. Good, man. Me too. So let's, let's start with your story. Let's start with, uh, I mean, as much as you want to share, obviously sure. in a nutshell, kind of like who is John Romanello? <sighs> Just a boy from Long Island. That's it. It's that simple. Um, you, have yeah. a, you have an amazing passion for New York, by the way. Like I watch your story just to like, because I've been to New York once and I loved it. But like mm. every day, it's like a, just a sequence of, of amazing New York shots on your story. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm deep in my New York heartbreak right now. This is my favorite time of year in this city. And I'm out here yeah. in California, which is lovely. It's beautiful out here. But to be away from New York in the fall is, it's, uh, I, I don't know a, 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 the correct analogy to describe it. But it's, it's like, if, if whatever your favorite time of year in your favorite place is, to not be there, it, it feels a little bit like heartbreak. And having recently moved uh, full time to California, or at least at least like put my stuff in storage in New York. You know, given the that we were quarantining out here, the the weight of it on my heart is very heavy. The absence of it, I think everyone should find the place that they love so much that they can't shut up about it, and that's where they should live. For me. That's New York City. I think that if you don't if you don't talk about the place you live the way Samwise Gamgee talks about the Shire or Bormir talks about, you know, Gondor, then like what the fuck are you doing? That's you know. So for me, it's New York, and that's where we we'll start our story. I was born in New York. I'm a born and raised New Yorker originally from Queens until I was about ten years old when my parents got divorced due to the abject horror that existed in my household due to my father's abuse of my mother and me. And from there, I grew up on Long Island, which is a magical place um, that, that, as every Long Island person knows, was deposited by a glacier. <laughs> that's, that's how Long Island got there. A glacier just left it there on its way through. And I, I really have a lot of passion for Long Island. We are home to a lot of luminaries like Teddy Roosevelt and Lindsay Lohan. And we create, we, we produce geniuses and crazy people. And in the middle of that Venn diagram is me. And I have such intense passion for where I am from because it was, it was not idyllic. It was a, it was a rough childhood. I grew up without any money. I grew up, you know, after my parents split up. Um, and by that, I mean, again, my mom packed my sister and I in a car and left because my father was horrifically abusive and had hospitalized me three times before I was 10 years old, broken ribs, broken skull, broken nose. But growing up on Long Island was the first place I got to feel safe. And it's an amazing place. You grow up 45 minutes from the greatest city in the world. You have all of these amazing experiences that are unique to that. Like there are kids or were kids, there are, you know, things are different now in the age of COVID, COVID, but there are kids from Long Island and Jersey who in the seventh grade, when they're learning about the American Revolutionary War, they go and see Hamilton on Broadway. Like, what kind of life is that? That's so incredible. You only have that there. And I, I I'm a history guy. So I love the history of New York. You know, it's, it's easy to get wrapped up in the big buildings of Manhattan and the fact that the city is always under construction and that there's even, even now there are things going up. But it's one of the oldest cities in the country. New Amsterdam was a port city in, in, you know, in the 1650s. And the, the Revolutionary War was, uh, was determined in part by the Battle of Long Island, Battle of Brooklyn, and there are places, when, when you see these things on my stories on Instagram, there are very specific places I put on them. Like, this is where Aaron Burr lived, or it was briefly Washington's headquarters. There's Washington Square Park, which is where the barracks were when he was training his men. And there are signs 
all over the city and all over Long Island. They're blue signs and they have yellow writing on them and they tell you some historic thing that happened there. And there's a town called Huntington on Long Island, which is known mostly because it's one of the few towns on Long Island that's worth driving to to go out on a Friday night and it has amazing pizza. But there's a poll there dedicated to a Revolutionary War hero named Nathan Hale, who when he was 17 years old was rowing a boat across the Long Island Sound either to or from Connecticut, and he was caught by the British and hanged as a spy. And his reported last words were, my only regret is that I have but one life to give for my country. And growing up around all of that instilled me with this love of history, with a love of architecture, with a love of how things change and why they change, and in part contributed to my love of stories. And then, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That is not probably the, 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 the abridged biography that most people want to hear. At some point, I got involved in the fitness industry. I did that for a while, wrote a couple of books, transitioned into business coaching. Now, these days, I get to do what, I've, what I had always wanted to do, which is help people in a different way. So I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in high school, I wanted to teach. I wanted to go to college and become a teacher. I wanted to teach high school English and history and write books on the side. I was not allowed to do that. I had to go off and make a lot of money because my family didn't have any. And part of my story was being this boy prodigy with all of this pressure from my family. I changed majors a bunch of times trying to figure myself out and eventually graduated, graduated with a double major in psychobiology and English with a focus on creative writing and a history minor with a concentration on religion. So I was very interesting to talk to, but wildly unqualified to hold a job of any kind. And I was on pace to just go to grad school and then you know, maybe get a doctorate of some kind to be a professional student. And I found fitness and became a personal trainer. I started my first personal training business and then it turned into Roman Fitness Systems, which begat all of the other things that are very Googleable about me. It has taken 20 years since my senior year of high school. It would be my 20 year reunion now, if not for COVID. I'm now 38 years old and I get to teach writing. I get to teach communication. I get to teach storytelling and all of the other things that I fell in love with as a young boy that made me think being a teacher is the move for me, is the place where I get to explore that and share this love with other people. It has been a long, winding, circuitous route, but in many respects, for all of its straight lines and wrong turns and ups and downs, life can be a circle. And after 20 years, rather than getting paid $140,000 a year at the absolute most to stand in front of a room teaching high school English and history and tutoring and hoping every year for that one kid who, like me, fell in love with the material. Now I get to have my own businesses and work with people like you who want to learn these skills to improve their lives. And it is a, a truly beautiful payoff at the end of the story. It's, it's pretty cool because, and I want to say it was a Perform Better Summit, but I'm not 100% sure. But I think it was like 18 or 19. I think it might have been 19. And I remember seeing you there talking to some people that like, 
my boss was kind of friends with, but I like didn't have the like guts to like get into the conversation because I was so new. But I remember observing and, and seeing you and then like Googling you and seeing what you have done and reading some of your stuff. I bought your books, um, writing for fitness, how to get published, how to blog, like all those that you had like a series of them, right? Mm-hmm. And it really got me into writing. And uh and it's and it's funny because it's it's like twofold. One, it's so cool to see your evolution now that I'm becoming pretty close with you. Now I can really understand it better. Um, and then the other side of it is I remember getting really into writing for fitness in, in kind of identifying as a writer in a way, right? I was still a trainer and everything. And the more I know you, the more I'm like, I've never been a writer. Like you, <laughs> <laughs> you are the epitome of what a writer is, um, which is, is kind of what I want to get into first is like how that even started. Did that, did that come before fitness or after fitness? That was well before. Thomas Mann said, a writer is someone for whom writing is more difficult than it is for other people. (laughs) So by that stretch, I am certainly a writer. I I do like to get words on the page, but they almost always come out covered in blood. That's part of of my Hemingway tortured genius narrative. But uh, I, I found my way into fitness because I went through a body transformation, but I built a business around it because of writing. Again, I studied writing at school. Um, it was the thing that got me into the schools that I was able to attend. It was a place where I always excelled. And for me, um, nothing really feels real until I've written about it. It's how I process things. When I, um, even now when I do my, my own self-work, I have to process things through journaling and then through analysis and then through storytelling. And so when I was really deep in my initial interest in fitness, going through this body transformation, learning all this stuff, I was like, all right, I need to demonstrate expertise of this in some way. So I wanted to write articles and thank God I had this writing skill set, and I'd been you know, writing short stories forever. And it was just, it was a very simple step at that point to, um, to just start submitting articles and they got published because of the quality of the writing. The content was okay. I mean, but as a, as a 20 year old kid writing for T nation, I was a good programmer, but how much did I really know? But the writing was good and the, it, it was conversationally uh, written and it was, it was technically proficient and the content was good enough. And so if I hadn't found fitness, I would have just, wound up writing about something else it just happened to be that got it and then that just i mean it's funny how many people not say started at t nation but there's so many people i know now that are like well the first you know i started publishing articles on t nation and then i got really into it and it kind of spun because t nation was like a big deal back then i look at it now it's kind of it, funny yeah, it was back when it when i first got published there which was 2002 t nation was certainly a kingmaker it was it's responsible for the careers of myself joel marion eric cressy tony gentlecore john berardi christian thibodeau and all of the other luminaries who came out of that particular generation of coaches we were able to build the platforms that we were because t nation had an existing audience and gave us access to it and that allowed us this is in the age before blogs that was the place we could go and showcase our metal. And eventually blogs came in and then social media. And now there are people with 500,000 person Instagram followings or 1 million person YouTube followings who have never been published on T Nation. And, uh, but it's still, 
it matters in certain circles. Writing and publishing still matters. And that's a big part of, of what you do. And one of the things I love about you is that you've never lost sight of the importance of writing and blogging and especially Google. If there are people listening to this podcast looking for like nuggets, for little pieces of value, this next 20 second thing that I'm gonna say is gonna give you a shit ton of value. Please start publishing content on your own site. At some point, Instagram, which only rewards you for recency, right? You write an Instagram post and it gets maybe two or three days of traffic. If you put it on stories, it's 24 hours. You spend a lot, think about how much time you, the listener, have spent writing thoughtful, really high quality content on your Instagram that is just living there, not getting seen anymore. But if you went and republished it on your site and you did a little bit of SEO, somebody Googling those terms who is never going to find it on Instagram might find their way to your website. And that's one of the things that Cody does. Cody, you, you have articles going up on your site all the time. You get a lot of traffic from Google. It is absolutely astounding to me that somehow in 2020, <clears throat> people have become so obsessed with Instagram that they forgot about Google. Like, how do you forget about Google? <laughs> Google like, Instagram may be like the club where the party is, but Google owns the block. Like, that's, <laughs> that's where, where it's what's happening. Uh, one of my business partners and I, a guy named Peter Zemis, who was a, a client who became a business partner. He now runs Roman Fitness Systems along with David Rosales. We, we created an offer called uh, Content God. And the, the entire sales page, which is probably one of the best sales pages I've ever written, is about exactly this problem. And what Content Gods does is we, we actually, we have writers and editors, we go and pull all of the old content from your Instagram and turn it into high quality articles and, uh, or like ultimate guides or PDF, downloadable PDFs. Because every single person listening to this who has more than 500 posts on their Instagram, each one of those posts is 250 words. If you have 500 posts at 250 words each, do the math, you've written a book. You have written the, 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 the rough equivalent of a book and it's published in 500 little baby pages. And if you have somebody spin that together, if you have a cohesive sort of brand and you talk about the same things all the time, you've got a couple of great articles, a couple of good PDFs and, and very possibly a short book already existing on your Instagram right now. Please publish articles on your site. I think that's actually in the sales copy that you it have is. a book. Yeah. Cause I, I, uh, I don't, you didn't, you never sent it to me, but it came into my view at some point. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading the sales company. I'm like, this is amazing. I think it was right after I started talking to you though. Um, yeah, Jordan yeah, probably sent it to you. What's that? Jordan probably sent it to you. Most likely. Yeah. Um, and it, it's funny because I think like, you know, for me, when Instagram started getting popular and, and obviously I dove headfirst into it, um, I just kept writing because I enjoyed it. Like there was something about sitting down and spending hours researching and cultivating information and grabbing sources and writing a blog. There was just something about it, like sitting in a coffee shop in Seattle, writing a blog. Like that was my favorite thing. Uh, so I just never stopped. And it wasn't until later when I started actually educating myself on SEO and on marketing on things like that. I was like, oh, I'm onto something. We should probably keep doing this. So um, yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's the first thing I give advice for coaches who ask me for business advice. It's the first thing I say, it's like start writing more on your website or if you're shooting videos embed those into a blog and put them on your website, do something to just, just get on there. So that's huge on your content. Just, yeah. you know, like one of the, one of the things that we say in that sales page is like, it's, if you don't 
publish content on your own, if you don't own your content, it's like you are one of the three little pigs and you, it's like you've got a house made out of straw on land you're renting. And you don't even need the big bad wolf to come along. Like the landlord could just take, Instagram could just cancel your account tomorrow. Who knows? You know, everybody is, you know, whatever, whatever your political beliefs are, you, this, the censorship on Instagram in both directions, both, you know, it, it, they censor the right more certainly, but in both directions, the censorship is such that if you're just posting your everyday political beliefs and you just want to be involved in, in educated discourse about the direction of, you know, like real geopolitical issues, it's possible that your account will get shadow banned and that all of this valuable content won't, won't be accessible or you can get fully banned. They can just, they can just like delete your account. Think about that. Like, ha have your content somewhere else. It should, you should own it. It should exist on your site. I almost think of it like being an independent artist. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's a really great comparison. You own the rights to your music. Um, so let, let's, let's dive into storytelling because I think this is something that you're obviously passionate about and you know so much about and I've learned so much from you on. Um, and I think it's, there, there's a huge difference between like even just in fitness, writing for fitness and then like storytelling and, and learning how to use storytelling to not only sell better, but to create belief and buy-in from people to do whatever it is that you want to help them with or trying to get them to do, or even just a theory you're freely trying to get them to be convinced on. Um, so what is storytelling to you and, and why is it so important that we get better at that type of writing? Quote a line from my sales page because I say this all the time, <laughs> but um, before there was marketing or advertising, before there were Facebook ads or paid traffic, everything in the world was sold with the same six words. Let me tell you a story. And when I say sold, I don't just mean offered in exchange for money. I mean, really transmuted and, and passed along. The oral tradition by far outstrips any currency and so we sold things like myths, like religion, like philosophy. When I say sold, they have to be convincing enough for someone to exchange their time to listen and also exchange their belief, where they walk away from that story thinking, yep, this is my thing now. And <clears throat> stories, we are, we are narrative creatures. Stories are how we process and synthesize information, certainly through the, the eyes of, of our own human experience and how we as uh, biological creatures are now you know, going to, to take in this new information and factor it into our decisions going forward. But it's also how our brain, we're, as high level cognitive creatures, it's how we begin to make sense of the changes going on around us. In Joseph Campbell's seminal work, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, he makes the argument that at the core of it, most stories follow the same pattern. It's a 17 stage model called the monomyth or the hero's journey. And most of these stages will appear in, in a lot of more popular tales, whereas truncated tales will, will have only a few of them. But we don't tell stories that way because Campbell said so. He didn't create it. He just observed it. So why has every culture more or less followed this model independent of one another without realizing it? It's because this model of processing information is in line with how our brains work. It's in line with how we work as human beings. 
if you were to take a truncated version of the hero's journey, uh, I like the 12-step version by Christopher Vogler, and overlay that on top of the 12 steps of recovery, it would fit perfectly. We recover from addiction in the same way we tell stories because the, the, the story of recovering from addiction is, is a story. It's a narrative. Similarly, the way that we as human beings psychologically process grief, the five stages of grief, each one of those stages has an analog in the hero's journey. And that's not because someone said it. These are observable things that have become codified in books because of 3,000 years, 10,000 years, 15,000, however many years of, of just the observation of the way human beings exist, and that gets codified into stories. We don't love stories because they're entertaining, although that's part of it. It's we love stories because that's the only way we can understand our world. It almost paints a, it, it allows you to kind of paint a picture in your own head. Yes. Right? And like relate to the whatever is being told. Which is always the first step. When I teach storytelling, I teach a, a five-step framework. And it starts with the frame. And the frame is painting the picture of where it is. If they can't see themselves there, it's very hard for them to, to really understand why they should care. So the frame is really the where, the when, a little bit of the who and the what. And without those things, they, they can't, no one is going to care about the why. The why is ultimately like, what's in it for me? Why am I listening to this? Which is what I call the hook. Sometimes the hook comes above the frame, like, you know, five weird tips to lose fat. But if you want to transmit that information, you, you paint a picture for them. And so if I'm going to tell you about <clears throat> a story that happened in um, Paris, I need to know what you know about Paris. And if you don't know anything about Paris, I have to assume that what you know about Paris is the Eiffel Tower and maybe the Louvre and the Bastille and a few other monuments. And so if this is happening on some small quiet street that is you know, in view of the Eiffel Tower, it's a cafe where Hemingway once sat and drank wine and coffee with Fitzgerald, then I would need to paint the picture of what that looks like. If I tell you, this story happened in Manhattan, in New York City, where, you, as you know, I love. I have to, you've been to New York once, so your experience of New York was possibly skyscrapers in Times Square. But the things you see me post on my Instagram, is that what I post? No, it's, it's all like brownstones and tree-lined streets and little places in the West Village. <clears throat> so if you're not from New York, and I'm saying, and I'm telling you a story about New York, let's say, this is a story about the first time I met one of my best friends. At the time, we knew each other just from the internet. <clears throat> and um, he had been in the Navy for 10 years. He'd been a client of mine. And we were meeting in person for the first time. This was in the West Village, which is quiet, tree-lined streets. None of the buildings go above three stories. It is the exact opposite of what you see in Times Square and everything that every New Yorker wants in terms of the housing they could never afford. Um, 
it was autumn and the leaves were gold. And so just by doing this, I'm like, you now know that there's a character that I'm meeting for the first time. He becomes my best friend. I'm describing the scene. And through doing this, I'm inviting you in and showing you a piece of New York. On the other hand, if you're a New Yorker, I could just say, the first time I met one of my best friends, we went for coffee uh, at a shop called Coppola Cafe, right on the corner of West 4th and Jones Street. So I, I can give you more specific information because I know that contextually you'll be able to, to create that vision without me needing to paint it as much. So when you frame a story, this is just like writing sales copy. You enter the conversation through their door. How much do they already know measured against how much they need to know? And that's the information that you fill in to draw them in. When you watch movies, you know, one of the first things that you'll see in a film, if it takes place in a city, for example, is what's called an establishing shot. So you'll just see like the skyline of Manhattan and all of a sudden you're like, okay, this movie takes place in Manhattan. And so they'll hold that for about two seconds. And then the next thing is the scene of the bank robbery. So we know that this bank robbery is happening in Manhattan because it, it gives us this idea. It just sets in our mind, all right, now I know where I am so I can care. Gary, are you are you okay with going through all the steps? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so cool, cool. It's, now I'm curious of, of all five. So the frame is painting the picture of where it's happening. Yeah. The hook, the hook is ultimately the promise that you're making in the story. Often in the type of writing we do, it comes before the frame. It's the subject line. What, what am I going to get out of this? Um, but it's but I, I rank them in terms of like how they appear linearly in a story. So it's frame, hook, then there's turn. When I say turn, people often confuse it for twist. Not all stories have twists. Not all stories have to have like some big surprise ending. A turn is any place in the story where there's a joint, any time that things change. It's, you know, it's, it's causality. It's when, when do we get to the next thing? What's the action? Then there's the dive. The dive is details. It's, it's fleshing out everything, the characters, you know, whether it's backstory, whether it's the, the, the data that's happening, whether it's the conversation that's occurring in detail. So dive is just details, diving deeper into the experience. And then the last is the payoff. It's the punchline. It's the, it's the value. It's the conclusion. At the end of listening to this story, did I get what I was promised with the hook? If you tell me five unusual tips to help you increase your non-exercise activity thermogenesis by 15%, then at the end of that article, I better have those five unusual tips. But if you're telling them to me in a story, then you know each one can be like, here's how I discovered this thing that I now do that I now teach to my clients. I think like the biggest thing that I can recommend to people is obviously I'm not a, uh, I'm not, I'm not well-versed enough to teach on storytelling, but in like, I observe a lot of writers writing just for the simple fact to learn how they write. Even if I'm like, I'm, I'm on people's newsletter list or read sales copy that I'm not going to buy no matter what, but I just mm -hmm. want to see what they're talking about. And I think sure. that to me, it's, it's, it's engaging enough to keep me reading. Like, and that's one of the biggest things I, I learned from the first books I read from you when I really started getting to blogging is like, how am I going to grab the reader and keep them on this page for longer? And, uh, and I often tell people who, and, and you can tell me if you think this is somewhat relatable or good advice. Um, 
when they ask like, how do you, I've had, I've been at the question, like, how do you structure an Instagram post? How do you decide what's right? And I, I used to say, relate, educate, opportunity shift. So how am I relating to them? How do I educate them? And then give them a new opportunity, which is kind of like a turn or, or a, a sales pitch or a call to action or something, something different, a new possibility for them, um, which is a much more simplified version of the actual art of storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's fantastic. So uh, at a, on a micro level, the job of every sentence is to get you to read the next sentence, right? And so that is both the content and the craft. If it's a well-written sentence, you'll keep reading, even if you don't particularly care what's going on. <clears throat> um, and with Instagram posts, yeah, you get their attention and then you, you give them something of value. You educate them and then, you know, it's only, Instagram posts only are 2,200 characters, which on average is going to be about 215 to 230 words, depending on how long they are. That's not very long. It seems long because they're, the, the font is small and the screen is, is small. But the, the goal is to just get them to read the whole thing. And if the writing is good, if it's dynamic, if it's personality driven, then it's much easier to do that. And a story will always be, always, always, always be easier to read than a pure educational post. Do you think being somebody who is open and uh, wants to just experience life, let's say it's going to help you storytell. And the, and the reason I <clears throat> think of this is because I got a question asked to me yesterday when I was getting interviewed on somebody's podcast and they were just like, you just, you seem to want to do new things or learn new skills or just, just try shit all the time. And my thought process was like, well, like the more I do, the more experience, the more interesting I become. And the more I have to talk about, the more I have to talk about, the better I can tell stories and relate to people and talk to people and, and create some kind of human connection. Um, do you, do you find, cause I, I would say you're a very, very similar, very interesting person with a lot of stories to tell and a lot of experience. I have met a number of people who I would consider to be very interesting. And I think that they have a lot of amazing stories, but they are terrible storytellers. <laughs> and so the, being interesting and doing a lot of interesting things and weird shit and going out and learning new skills is a great way to collect the material for your stories. It's a great way to collect experiences and stories. The skill of storytelling doesn't immediately come with that. And I, I never, you know, I try to turn the part of my brain off that's a storytelling coach and teacher when I'm just at a wedding listening to someone talk but it's amazing how many times someone will will go off on a side tangent and just interrupt their own story with this other thing that comes up and now they're talking about that thing and i in my head i'm like wait no go back i was in you know i was enrolled <laughs> in that story and so then i have to remind them so, so what happened with the dog <laughs> or whatever so there are it, it is a skill and and the the greatest part of that is self-editing it is being aware that you have to go from beginning to end and you can have a few little tangents, but if you take a side road and, and wind up in a different destination, that's, that is a problem. And the way to do this is just practice just over and over. And so the three stories that we all tell all the time are answers to the questions, where are you from? What do you do? And how did you meet your, significant other, your business partner, your romantic partner, whatever. We get asked these all the time. If you go to a wedding, those are the three questions the people at your table are gonna ask. 
where are you from? When people are asking, hey, Cody, where are you from? They're not, they don't just want to know where you were born. What they really want to know is how you got from there to where you are now. And it's an opportunity for you to share a little bit. Like when people ask me about where I'm from, I'm like, I could just be like, oh, I'm from New York and they'll just assume Manhattan. But I say, I am from a mystical place called Long Island, about 45 minutes east of New York City. I grew up in a town called Glen Cove, which is right near Sagamore Hill, which is a, an old estate that was owned by Teddy Roosevelt. And I, you know, and then I can go off about what it is and, and you know, a, a little bit about Glen Cove. So I, you know, I, I lived on Long Island until I went to school in upstate New York and then briefly lived, you know, in Manhattan. And then I was back on Long Island when I started my personal training business. In 2009, I moved into a neighborhood in Manhattan called Hell's Kitchen, which is like one of the most gentrified areas at this point now. But at the time, there was not a lot there. And it had been tough Irish gangs warring over territory for about 100 years. And that stopped about 15 years before I got there. And it was just like, weird desolate gas stations and cheap luxury apartments and now it's one of the the new hearts of the city and i've lived in manhattan in some capacity since 2009 and i hope that i that i die there at a computer i hope that the way i die is to hit the period on the last book i will the last word of the last sentence of the last book i'll ever write and die in my chair that is what i hope for my life and so if you ask me where i'm from you're going to find out how i want to die that's a story that's you know like most people probably don't want it to be quite so maudlin but i i could give an edited version of that when they ask you you know how did you meet shannon you'll there's an answer for that but the reason i say to practice those three stories is because like anything else it's a skill and you to, to get better at a skill you need controls and you need variables the control is what actually happened no matter how many different ways you think about how you met Shannon, you two met however you met. The courtship was however it was. The variable is how you tell that. What is the, the frame of it? What's the, the picture you paint of where you were in your life when she entered it? And, and all of these other things. So it's, it's a beautiful opportunity, not only to practice a, a beautiful story that wound up in a happy ending. You guys got married, you got a beautiful, beautiful daughter. Um, but it can also be this love letter. Every time you tell that story, it could be a love letter to your wife. That's, and that's a beautiful thing. I love that. I think it's, and, and I, I really do think it, you have to be, I mean, part of me is like, you've got to be an open, like just a person who kind of wears their heart on the sleeve, wants to just tell everything. Cause I'm an open book. I'll tell you anything about me. Um, and that helps me because I can tell you, you know, Shannon's pretty reserved. And so if you ask her how we met, it'll be very simple and she'll tell you. But if you ask me, I'm going to tell you the whole, like, uh, the, the part where we actually met through Instagram and that led into a first day, a blind first day. And I got pulled over on the way, sweated out of my shirt. So I showed up in a wife beater, like looking like nice. such a douchebag, like nice. so nice. kind of going on and on. Right. Yeah. Um, but she would never go into any of that. Um, so it, I think it does come from that, but because I want to give people uh, applicable takeaways and things that they can just go start doing. Can you tell us ways that people can practice being better storytellers, um, for example, like reading fictional books. Like I don't think many people do that, and that's a, a huge help. Yeah, that's that's terrifying to me that people don't read more fiction. Um, I know that everyone listening to this podcast is, you know, either either listening for fitness content or most of the people here. I think you're also, you know, maybe fitness professionals trying to build a business. 
if there's one piece of advice I could give you, it is to read fewer business books. Nonfiction books are great, <clears throat> but most of them can be pamphlets, right? You, you don't have to read the whole book. You could read a summary and get a lot out of it. Now you should you read them, but I would much rather everybody read good fiction. If you haven't read Harry Potter, start there. It's, a, it's accessible, kids can read it. I don't wanna hear how like I'm not into wizards. Just you, you have a responsibility to read Harry Potter because it's a cultural touchstone, right? Like it, it's part of the zeitgeist. Before Harry Potter was published, there was a 30 year downward trend in kids reading for pleasure. And then this book about a boy wizard comes out and it hockey sticks. Not only does it inspire an entire generation of kids to pick up books and start reading again, it establishes young adult fiction as a commercially viable genre, which begat The Hunger Games, which begat Twilight, which begat Fifty Shades of Grey, which, which created billions upon billions of dollars in book and movie revenue. And if you think that you just like get to not know about that, then you don't deserve to be successful because it's part of the culture. And in reading it, you will learn how to be a better storyteller. So read more fiction, watch more quality television. I know there's a lot of bullshit about like successful people read books and unsuccessful people watch TV. No, some of the most successful people are in the world work in Hollywood and they watch TV as part of their fucking job. Watch good stories, consume good stories and read good stories. Those things are definitely important. I love that. Yeah, I think uh, you're going to kill me, but I've never read Harry Potter. Well, <laughs> and, it's next uh, on the list. Yeah, I guess so. I, and it's funny because uh, my wife loves Harry Potter. And uh, I had seen like one and she was like, we got to do a movie marathon. I was like, all right, I'll do this if you watch Lord of the Rings. Because I've mm -hmm. seen Lord of the Rings 13 times and sure, you haven't yeah. seen it once. And, uh, and she was like, all right, cool. We, we start the first Harry Potter movie. She falls asleep 20 minutes in. Yeah. But I sat there and watched the whole thing by myself. I went and ended up watching the second one. We actually just watched the third one uh, the other night on day night while drinking wine. And it's like, okay. I'm still doing it. So, so they, they, the thing with that is they get they, – one of the most beautiful things about Harry Potter, both as a series, as a, as a, a series of movies, but more importantly in the books, what J.K. Rowling did in terms of aging the narrative voice book by book by book is very deft writing. It really is very skilled writing. And – your experience, it's, it's third person narrative, but it's, it's first third, which means that you were experiencing the story as Harry does. And so in the first book, he's 11 years old and you're experiencing the world as an 11 year old would. By the time the seventh book comes out, he's 18. He's like, you know, a, a mostly formed adult. And the movies get darker because there's more, the stakes are higher, but the narrative voice of the book ages in a way that is really cool. And uh, that is, that's something worth examining. So the third movie that you just watched, very good. Then the fourth one is where things like really start picking up. So, yeah, that is extremely interesting. Just the, the skill behind that. And even, you know, I always tell people like, if, if anything, even if you pick a different fictional book or sci-fi, anything, like think of what it takes to be the type of person that comes up with that. Like every little detail in Harry Potter's world and his life and his powers and how he does things like his clothing, the different like, uh, like creature, like how do you come up with all that? You know? So yeah. that mean, alone I, is inspiring. It is as a, as a person who played Dungeons and Dragons and wrote campaigns and adventures and quests for my playing group, for my friends, um, you're creating a world and it's cool. And you have to create the rules of that world. And it's, 
every single spell that's used in Harry Potter came out of J.K. Rowling's, you know, mind. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So you're a Lord of the Rings guy. You know, Tolkien created languages. He created yeah. histories for these fictional countries, the lay of Baron and Luthien, all the way into, you know, Tom Bombadil, which just an incredible amount of history. And um, if you can't learn from that, then if you don't think that there's something to learn from that, then I, you know, I, don't, I don't know how much a podcast on storytelling is going to help you. So just like go to the next episode, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I do, I do want to cover a couple other things that are, that are somewhat related, but I think it's important for us to dive into. You, you briefly mentioned the importance of communication. Um, yeah, and I'd love yeah. to talk a little bit about that because that's something you and I have been focusing a ton on. Um, that and creativity. And those are like the two things I really want you to share your opinions on because I know for me, like even just the simple act of playing guitar again has gave me so much more happiness. It's almost like hard to believe. And it's just 20 to 30 minutes a day, you know? And now I find myself, which by the way, I, I took the electric guitar out of storage. And now I find myself at night while Shannon's watching her show, like in the room practicing. Cause I just, it gives me like a, 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 just a place away from everything else that I have to do and be a part of. Um, but you taught me that creativity leads to inspiration and inspiration leads to fulfillment. And that was like a huge insight for me. So that and communication have been two things that we've been focusing on tremendously. And, and this is from somebody who felt like they were a pretty good communicator. I mean, I'm an effective communicator um, and I still have a lot of work to do, you know? So um, can you just, just talk about the importance of that and, and why maybe you started focusing on that, why you want to teach me that, so on and so forth. Absolutely. Um, so just to, to quickly wrap up the guitar thing. So, um, so I'm coaching Cody and in that, in that work, one of the things that I'm having him work on, now I'm not a guitar player, not a guitar coach, but I, what I want is for, to, to bring the best out of Cody in terms of his life and his creativity. And in our conversations, it, you, know, you had said, one of the, the things that you'd always wanted to learn was guitar. And so th that question that that answer came in response to the question what can you do to just as a creative outlet that isn't in any way related to your business that's just for you and so you know we we came up with this plan for cody to learn guitar and now you're doing it and you're you're uh, over 30 days in now and it just just the smile on your face when you talk about it is incredible and that is a creative outlet that really allows you to just like activate different parts of your brain. I think that's tremendously important. So creativity is, it's a skill like anything else. And when we get bogged down in only creating for our businesses, we, our view of the world starts to narrow. And the wider our view is, the more things come into the inputs of our senses and the more we see that there is stuff to write about and create everywhere and, and you learn the skill. But as for communication, um, I'm very, very passionate about something called conscious communication. And <clears throat> this is really a method of interpersonal conversation where you are being incredibly connected to the person with whom you are communicating. And at the very core of it, it is validating someone else's experience, even when they are having a completely different opinion about the fact. So if you and I are looking, or if you and I are, are eating the same steak, you know, we might have different experiences of it. Like I like my steak very rare. If you like your steak well done, then your, your experience is going to be, this is not a good steak. Whereas my experience, like this is the best steak I've ever had. And the way that we communicate is 
you know, you would say like, oh, this steak is terrible. And I might say, it's so interesting that you say that. For me, this is one of the best steaks I've ever had. I hear you. I hear that you don't like it. Can you maybe, can you try to say what it is about it you don't like? And so I'm not making you wrong. You're not wrong. It's your opinion. Everything that you're experiencing is real and your feelings are valid. And I'm just, it's, it's a method of conversation that is driven by inquiry and curiosity. And it's, it's constantly validating the other person's perspective to try and help them feel safe to continue to share and do the same. And in the context of interpersonal relationships, whether it is with staff in your business and especially in your romantic relationships, this can be challenging. But if you, if you practice it and you commit to the practice of the practice, then it unlocks an entirely new level of intimacy and of understanding. And so um, I, don't, I don't want to, I mean, do you want to give some examples of, of your uh, experiences with it? Or like, I mean, I could try and come up with some from my own. Yeah, both. I mean, I think that, you know, one thing I really noticed was it's almost like a, a logical perspective on a conversation because, you know, there's times where I would use examples and, and it's the same thing. It's like, here's my opinion. Here's your opinion. Well, you're wrong because your, your opinion's not my opinion. And stripping that away and kind of like you re restating the story that I just told you and saying like what opinions really are, it just makes you almost feel dumb. You're like, well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's obvious. And you start to really like kind of slow down, if that makes sense. I know for me, like I've been able to actually stop and think before I speak and actually stop and think before I do and, and think before we have a conversation about anything or a debate. Um, so yeah, and I think I think knowing the outcome of the the argument or the debate or the conversation is is really important too. Yes, the trying to win is you've already lost, right? No one in the world has ever convinced a person that they were right by telling the other person how wrong they are. That doesn't work, and so. The goal is to get to agreement or consensus, but more importantly, understanding. Over time, it doesn't matter how it does. What I like to say is it, it does not matter how well suited or similar two people are. There is going to be a gulf between them in terms of how they perceive the world, a, a chasm. And that chasm, if they're going to be in relationship with each other, it needs to be bridged in some way. And the way that you create the material to build that bridge is through productive conversations. Non-productive conversations, which are arguments or fights, they damage the integrity of the bridge you've started to build. Productive conversations reinforce its integrity and add to it. And over time, that bridge leads to mutual understanding. And in my relationship with my romantic partner, Amanda, we have different experiences of the world. We have different views. I'm, you know, I'm more logical. She is more emotional. She, uh, she views things in it through a more spiritual lens where I tend to be uh, a rationalist. But I don't ever make her wrong when she is telling me about her experience or something, even if it's how she perceives me to have been um, rude. Or she, so a great example is I'm a very direct person. Um, I'm very forthright in my speech and um, Amanda is a people pleaser. And so if I'm like asserting something with, uh, in, in any response, she, that can be a little triggering for her. And 
rather than just say like, well, this is just how I do it. Like, this is how the world works. You know, it's like, I get shit done, motherfucker. Like that's, that's not gonna help anyone. The, the response is, um, thank you so much for, for pointing that out. I see your perspective. I understand how you are, if I can reflect this back, it sounds to me like you're perceiving the way that I am approaching the situation as aggressive and rude. Um, can you share why you're perceiving it that way? Can you share like what specifically comes off as rude? And then when she shares, I will say, okay, I hear you. Um, all right, I will factor that in. Are you open to hearing how I was, you know, conducting myself in my, in my own mind? And she'll say yes. And like, for me, being assertive is a sign of respect. It is, you know, I thought my tone was very kind. I was not being rude. I was saying to this person in a very direct way, these are the things that I need and this is how I would like them done. And I was saying, please and thank you. And my assertive, being assertive is a sign of respect. Directness is a sign of respect because I don't want to waste anyone's time. I am unfailingly polite. I am always, always going to like maintain proper decorum, but to just say like, hey, we need extra towels. And then they say yes. And I, my follow-up question is, can you tell me what time I can expect those? That's, that, to me, that isn't rude. It's putting a little em extra emphasis on the housekeeping in this hotel to make sure that something gets done and that I can create an expectation. And I think that's very courteous. And over time, that level of directness has gotten a lot of things done for me. And, but we have now reached a consensus about like, she understands that it, just, it feels weird for her to ever even ask for extra towels. That just doing that feels rude. And so that's her stuff. My stuff is that like, I expect things to be done. But the way that we meet in the middle is asking courteously and kindly and creating the opportunity for each other to understand. Obviously, that's a very, very basic example. The deeper into whatever issues you're having in your relationship you are, um, especially if it's something that it could be a fight, uh, the more important this becomes. So Amanda and I don't fight. We don't, we don't even argue. We're always having deep conscious conversations and it can be about anything from, um, you know, just how one of us didn't do something that they said they would or, or little opportunities like that. Um, I'm trying to think of like big things we argue about. I mean, a lot, a lot of times it's just, um, forgetting to share something, you know, that happens in relationships. Um, you know, we don't really uh, fight about, you know, we don't really, you know, like politics or religion, we're on the same page there. So it's mostly um, how we want to like get through the week. And, you know, if she's going to like go out to dinner with her girlfriends, I'm like, hey, I'm, I super love that you're going out to dinner with your friends. That's really great. I would ask you to just try to remember that because we normally eat together every day, it, it's a reasonable expectation that I would have that we're going to have dinner together tonight. Um, so I took out multiple steaks. I was preparing to cook for us and now you're leaving. That's totally fine. I support you. I want you to spend time with your friends. If you could just like, you know, if, if you're open to some feedback in the future, if you make plans for the same day, I would, I would just love if you could tell me about that. Does that sound like something that you could commit to? The thing I pointed out to you on one of our calls was, uh, and I think it's important for people to hear, is not once did you say the word but. And to me, but is basically like saying you're wrong because mm. it's, it's, hey, I, I completely understand where you're coming from, but. Yes. And the second I say that, 
it's immediately saying your your argument yeah. is invalid and i'm going to tell you why you're wrong so um it, it just slowing down to have those conversations and this applies to clients too so for people that are like well i'm not married or i'm single and like how does this work for me if you're a coach or if you're working with people which most people are if you're dealing with any other individual this is how you remove barriers, you bring down walls, and you have a conversation that leads to an outcome that benefits both sides. Like you said at the beginning, if you're trying to win, you already lost. It should be more around the lines of both of us need to be victorious at the end of this conversation. We both want to be better off. And if you can come into it with like this logical kind of slowed down approach, I think you'll have a much better time, not only with business and with relationship, but just having more meaningful relationships in your life, period, you know? Right. The, the way to think of it is uh, like dancing. Nobody wins a dance. That's not how it works. The, but the goal is to be in sync with one another. And when you can do that in your communication, when you can do that uh, in your conversation, going in thinking like this person is hearing different music. And so they're, they're doing, you know, they're, this person is twerking and I'm over here trying to do the waltz. What we need to do is just find music that makes sense for both of us. And then we can have the conversation together. Because if they're, you know, if we're, we're both just dancing, we're both just trying to dance to the music that's in our hearts. But we need to speak that specific music into existence so that I know what they're listening to and they know what I'm listening to. And then we can find or create, co-create a tune to which we can both dance effectively but nobody wins the dance. That's not what it's about. It's a great analogy. And, and that's just another reason why people should be good at storytelling because you can come up with analogies that people relate to really easily. And it makes things so much more understandable um, to get your point across. But I, I want to respect your time, man. We're, we're approaching an hour. So um, the last thing I want to ask you is just to, to shout out everything you have. So like, where can people learn more from you? Where can people hire oh, you? What can people buy from you? Oh, you don't like doing it. sales pitches, but all of it. Oh, you want all of it. Okay. Throw uh, it all if, out here. All right. All of it. If you are interested in learning how to write effective sales copy to sell your shit on the internets or elsewhere, we have, and by we, I mean my partners and I in, in my company, Wellspring Media, we have an incredible, and I, it, it's the, one of the best things I've ever created. It is called Captivating Copywriting. It is an incredibly robust course. We, you know, if, it, just to give you an example, there's a three and a half hour module just on headlines. It's like the yeah. Lord of the Rings of headline modules. There's, if you don't want to spend three and a half hours listening to headlines, um, there's a two hour quick start module, which will give you just about everything. It's, it's I think the, the, best copywriting course around in that it is the most entertaining while also offering the highest value for the best price. Um, I agree. It is code. Do you want to, you want to do a discount code for your people? If they buy it, we'll just do, absolutely. we'll just, we'll just do boom, boom. All right. So yeah. I'll have to remember to go put this in before this gets published. But if you do uh, boom, boom as a coupon code, um, the price will go down from it's right now it's retailing at 1249. So it'll just go to 997. So you get it for a thousand bucks. Thank you, man. Uh, so, and just so people know, I've gone through this. I have somebody on my team going through this. I've, I've sent the link to purchase it to like six different people because it really is the best thing out there on copywriting like it's the most comprehensive and easy to understand i love how you said it's a two-hour quick start <laughs> it is i mean there is like it's yeah. like you could you could, if you could learn the skill of copywriting in two hours and start making yeah. money on hour three then i think that's pretty good yeah um, so that's captivating copywriting um other stuff if you are a looking to improve your writing or want to write a book or a other big um 
big project, I have uh, mentorship available where I do three, four, and six month containers of book mentorship or, or just writing coaching where you could do either two or four calls a month where I'm actually leading you through the process of writing your book. Um, just so, like right after this, I have uh, a call with someone for, for book writing. So at any given point, I'm working with about five people. I am finishing a few. So I might, I might, depending on when you listen to, I might have one spot open. It's very time intensive for me. If you want to write a book and become a better writer at the same time, that's what you should be doing. I do a la carte business calls. If you just want to like get on and talk some shit about your business. Mostly what I do is high level consulting. I go into a company like Cody's and just, um, you know, really see where the operational inefficiencies are and work from there. And then if you want to work more on the personal development side, the communication, using storytelling as a tool for self-development, if you wanna work with me in the same way that Cody is, that is available as well. So now Cody, I'm gonna put you on the spot and tell them in three minutes why that is dope. Uh, it is dope because it is some of the most comprehensive coaching calls I've ever had to be complete. And I told you that right away, like it was, yeah. I was blown away even just at the amount of time you set aside for our call, you know, and so diving in depth and, and, and it actually reflected into the coaching I do quite a bit because I took some ideas from you of like, man, this is so impactful for me. I'm going to do this for my clients as well. Um, but we just, I mean, it, I guess it depends what they're hiring you for. But for us, like we touch on just so many different things. I mean, there's, there's so much involved in being not just an entrepreneur and a coach and a team leader and a husband and a father, but just being a good human being in general. Um, and you have a lot to share, man. You have a lot to teach. And, and I've been taken away so much from it. Even, even Shannon said, like, every time you get off the phone with John, you're glowing. It's crazy. And I was like, I, I fucking love this guy. Like, it's, it's, it's a really great relationship. So I can't recommend it enough. And if, if uh, the spots are still open when this comes out, I would highly recommend anybody who is similar to me in any regard, definitely jump on it. Well, thank you, man. That means a lot. Yeah. And, and, and just so you know, and I'm going to, we'll just have a little bro love moment that everyone has to listen to because they're already an, an hour into this. Every time I get off one of our calls, like Amanda is like, you like fucking love working with Cody. You're glowing. It's great. That's, it's the deep work that I love doing. I really get to work with people who are, um, they're ready for that, that next level of, of like really trying to figure out how to level up as a person. And, um, and it's amazing to be able to guide them through. So that is it. Uh, yeah, for something like that, I, I almost always have like one or two secret spots available because I don't, I can't take just anyone. It's gotta be, it's gotta be the right fit. So if you're listening and you want to like, just, you know, hang out for an hour, every other, an hour and a half, every other week, like really doing deep, deep work that is available, but we have taken enough of your time. I have a call. Cody has another call. We both have busy lives to get back to. How do we wrap this bitch up, Cody? Uh, tell everybody where to find you on Instagram. Cause I know that's the place you're posting content most. And then I'll link all of your, your sites Wonderful. and everything in the description. You're the best. Uh, at John Romanello. I have cleverly made my own name, my Instagram handle. So that is where you will find me. There will be pictures of my dog and my partner and New York. And those are the three most important things in the world to me. Very interesting content on across yes. all spectrum. <laughs> there is a lot of interesting content. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, man. Thanks for your time, man. Before I let you go. I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, 
head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.